We are continuing our, our series through the book of Mark and, and chapter 7 this morning. I'm going to read, start with specifically verses 1 through 5, but we're going to cover all of verses 1 through 30. I'm not going to read all of those, um, but, but just to get a picture of, of what we're dealing with, you can kind of get the gist of it from these first five verses. And he starts with, um, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to, to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And I've got a confession to make this morning as we, as we dive into this. Right? Because I was going to comment this from one angle. I was going to come at this because I see in these next verses Jesus beating up on some religious people. And who does not love seeing Jesus beat up on these hypocritical, righteous people? And he does some, some, some scripture judo where he goes back into Isaiah and throws it back in their face. And it's beautiful. And I love it. And if Jesus does it, I want to do it, right? Because it's okay, because he did it, so I can do it. But thankfully, and you're welcome, because it was on Tuesday when I was reading and looking at this and said, oh no, I'm doing this again. But I realized, right, that's not really, I think, what we're supposed to get from this, Right? We're not supposed to be beat up. I do that and I worry and I see myself as a Pharisee. I'm worried that I'm going to become a Pharisee. And the way that Jesus spoke to them is the way that he's going to speak to me. Right? Because I don't know if you've noticed, this is a religious establishment. Yes? I hope you know that when you came in this morning. Okay? And probably the majority of us, religious people, on a Sunday, here, okay? But what Jesus was demonstrating in this opening scene and, and what he goes into is he explains why he doesn't wash his hands. It's not about beating up on the Pharisees, which is fun to do, okay? Okay? we go through these verses and the reality of this passage, right? And what I think really God wants to share with us this morning is that the weight of the traditions, the weight of the burden, the weight of the standard, okay, that we put on ourselves and allow other people to put on us when it comes to being good and being right Fitting in, Jesus came to set us free 
from those. The burdens that we place upon us is exactly what Jesus came to set us free from. I spoke with a student on Wednesday in Gorham who doesn't go to church. And we, were, and we invited him to youth group, but he doesn't go to church. And I said, well, well, why not? Because his parents don't go to church. I said, okay, that makes sense. His grandparents are very religious and made his parents go to church, which then triggered that rebellion in his parents who no longer want to go to church, and now he knows nothing of it. And I told him, you need to make up your own mind about church because he's living out the, the hurt from his parents whose, whose, whose parents, right? So his grandparents had good intentions, wanted their kids in church, but it became a burden. It became a weight for them to where they now no longer want any part of it, Right? And I have to go here, and we're going to do it, and we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about Bruno today, all right? So some of you may know because you've seen it. Some of your kids have seen it. Some of your grandkids have seen it. So now you can tell your kids when they ask you about church, you talked about Bruno, okay? But it's the Disney movie Encanto because, because I was looking at this, right? And, I was, and, I was, and I'm singing the songs in my head because I dream about it now. But, okay, but Luisa, and I'll, give you, and I'll give you an understanding, kind of, if you don't know, um, which, be thankful for that. But, but there, there's this abuela, right? And she runs the family, and they were given special gifts, like supernatural gifts. And it was all to keep the family together, right? Got to keep the family together. Got to keep the miracle alive. I'm trying to leave out spoilers. But there's, but there's something that comes along with it. There's a pressure. There's a drip, drip, drip pressure. Okay, that was all I was going to let myself do. Okay, but there's a pressure from, from the people in this family, specifically uh, Louisa, right, where they need to perform, right? They need to show up to, to keep the family together, to keep the miracle. And I thought to myself as we were watching it for the 19th time, here it is. We, we all deal with that, right? It's not just, it's not just something for religious people where, where we have these institutions. Um, I hope you all hand sanitized on your way in. Otherwise, you are now defiled, okay? But, but this goes beyond just religious practices, okay? Because thankfully, right, we don't deal with that as much today. And I'm going to show you some of, the, some of the laws that the Jews had to follow, and you'll really be thanking Jesus. But, but we, in every aspect of our life, and I think more now than ever, deal with that pressure and those standards of this is what you need to do to perform, this is what it means to be good, this is what it means, and you have to have that, you have to, to, to measure up. You have to measure up. Otherwise, you're cast out. Otherwise, you're not good enough, and, and we're going to take it one step further, and we're going to ostracize you, and we're going to demonize you because you don't meet our level of what we have decided is important. And poor Abuela, just completely, her intentions were good, but she got lost along the way of trying to protect what was good. 
Because originally, right, there's, there's laws in, in Leviticus and Deuteronomy about, about cleanliness, about purification, about being clean before God. But these Pharisees lost their way. Obedience to God without love of God leads to a resentment towards God. Okay? We can get so caught up with obeying God and what we think he wants us to do that we end up resenting him. Which is what the Pharisees did. They resented God, who is sitting at a table with his disciples just trying to eat a meal. And we deal with these burdens, and Jesus came to free us. The Pharisees did not have a true relationship with God. They were in love with their own holiness. And we love to create our list of what it means to be holy and right and have the right ideas and the right opinions and belong to the right camps and take the right positions on certain issues. And Jesus is just trying to set us free from that. When we look back at these first opening verses, right? When we look at verses 1 through 5, and then all the way uh, in the first 23 verses of the entire chapter, all took place because Jesus and his disciples simply didn't wash their hands when they ate. The guy just wanted to eat a meal with his disciples. And yet you've got people who are traveling. They were in Galilee at the time. Jerusalem was 80 to 100 miles away, right? Imagine sitting down at Jihad with some friends, and you're going to grab a cheeseburger pizza, because if you need to know what to eat at Jihad, it's a cheeseburger pizza. Make sure you put the lettuce on top. Okay, and, and this group of people, right, they're coming all the way from Augusta. Is that like 100 miles away? Let's say Augusta. They're, they're riding, because they probably wouldn't have to walk. They could ride 100 miles Right? You're sitting down to eat with your friends, maybe doing a Bible study. From Augusta, they come all the way down to Gorham. Walk in, walk over, uninvited, mind you, right? Jesus did not ask their opinion on his cleanliness. And they passively aggressive, uh, passive aggressively just kind of hint that you're offending God, right? He's just trying to eat a meal. <laughs> But I see in this story, right, in this introductory uh, story, the Jesus of Matthew 6, who says, do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Because we don't have to worry Right? He, he took care of all those things. We need to hear this morning, in these 30 verses, the freedom that Jesus gives us in Mark chapter 7. And we can experience the freedom of Jesus when we stick to what matters. First thing we need to see in this is that we need to stick to what matters. Verses 1 through 13. These people tried to trip up Jesus and call into question his righteousness and the righteousness of his disciples. See, when the, Pharisees, when the Pharisees came and asked him politely, you know, why do you not, why do you not follow the, the traditions of the elders? 
just, just asking for a friend, just trying to, I'm watching out for you, you know, because I see you're kind of, you're struggling. And so that we've got these traditions that these wonderful elders put together. Did you forget? I mean, the, the, the jar is right there. You can almost hear them saying, why don't you do what we do? We wash our hands. We are clean. We are righteous. We are good. Because that's what we do. When we hold to a certain position, we try to firm up that belief by calling into question others. It makes us feel secure and sure about what we believe. Because if I can call you sin, right? If I can call what you're doing or not doing, if I can call it sin, then I can feel better about myself. But Jesus knew enough about who he was and where his righteousness came from, okay? That he wasn't going to be swayed by their attacks. And I hope this morning, I hope as you're sitting here, as you're watching online, that Jesus makes it so abundantly clear that you belong to him. You do not belong to what other people say you should be. You do not belong to what other people say you should do. You belong to God. He has bought you with a price, and you no longer have to measure up to anyone else's standards. Okay? Be true to him, be faithful, and live out what he has called you to. All right? I'm not, I'm not giving you a blank check this morning. But understand that the expectations and the weight that people put on you are not necessarily from God. All right? And we're going to read that where, where, where these religious people substituted the commandments of God for their own. And we see that because when we stick to what matters, we don't need to add to the gospel. Amen? It's beautiful. Like, it's done. We just went through Galatians where our theme was, and I'm not going to quiz you because I don't want you to be embarrassed, right? Jesus plus nothing equals everything Josh wins for today. Gold star. I fed him that answer before. No, he had that all on his own. Jesus plus nothing, nothing, nothing at all equals everything. We don't need to add to the gospel. And yet they do in verses one through five. Notice, notice the source of these regulations, right? The Pharisees and the scribes. Scribes are very important in this, okay? The Pharisees and the scribes are not quoting scripture, right? Jesus does. He comes right back with Isaiah and just zings him. Um, but they, they were holding to the tradition of the elders, not divinely inspired, not God's word. And I want to give you an example of just what Jesus was up against in this time, right? Because we see this, this kind of, right, so they washed, they washed their hands, they washed their, their utensils. But this is out of the Mishnah, which is a Jewish uh, text. It's a summary of all of these added extra um, rules and regulations and interpretations of scripture, but not God's word, right? So this is out of the Mishnah. 
Buckle, buckle your seatbelts. Okay. A hollow vessel made of pottery. Okay, so we're like a, a, a pottery bowl or cup or something. A, a hollow vessel made of pottery could contract uncleanliness inside, but not outside. Okay, so take notes. Inside can become unclean, but not outside. Uh, but not outside. That is to say, it did not matter who or what touched it outside, but it did matter what touched it inside. If it became unclean, it must be broken because it's defiled. And no unbroken piece must remain, which is big enough to hold the oil to anoint a little toe. Can't anoint a little toe, right? Small pieces. A flat plate without a rim could not become unclean at all, but a plate with a rim could. Don't have rims. If vessels made with leather, bone, uh, if, ma- if vessels made with leather or bone or glass were flat, they could not contract uncleanliness at all. If they were hollow, they could become unclean outside and inside. If they were unclean, they must be broken, and the break must be a hole at least big enough for a medium-sized pomegranate to fit through. I, I'm literally, I, I copied this from a commentary, okay? To cure uncleanliness, earthen vessels must be broken, other vessels must be immersed, boiled, purged with fire, in the case of the metal vessels, and polished. Moving on to tables, a three-legged table could contract uncleanliness. If it lost one or two of its legs, it could not. If it lost three legs, it could, for then it could, become, it could be used as a board, repurposing. And a board could become unclean. Things made of metal could become unclean except a door, a bolt, a lock, a hinge, a knocker, and a gutter. Uh, gutter. Sorry. Okay, so keep those in mind. Uh, wood used in metal utensils could become unclean, but metal used in wood utensils could not. Thus, a wooden key with metal teeth could become unclean, but a metal key with wooden teeth could not. Did you get all that? No. Thank Jesus that this is not what we have to follow. But imagine living in that kind of society. Where following those rules, following those regulations is what made you Right, in the eyes of God. (sighs) That's exhausting. And yet, why? For what purpose? You can see why Jesus quotes Isaiah there in verses 6 and 7. This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines, The commandments of men. Commandments of men taught as doctrines. If we stick to what matters, we don't need to add to the gospel. Jesus' blood, his death, his resurrection. That's it. If we stick to what matters, we don't take away from the gospel either. Because these religious people and the people that uh, Jesus was dealing with at the time, right, in verses 6 to 13, they had gone so far that their, tradi- that their traditions were actually replacing God's law. They were supplanting it and 
completely ignoring it. And so we're going to read verses, um, verses uh, uh, 9 through 13. Okay, because Jesus responds to them. He goes even further. He says, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God. Sometimes he just, mm, so good. You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, right, so this is scripture. So Jesus is like, here's what actually matters. Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles their father and mother must surely die. But if you say, uh, but you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you have gained, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. Many things, many such things you do. We, uh, we have a, an obligation to take care of our family, Right? Jesus says um, in the New Testament, anyone who, who um, ignores or, or doesn't take care of their family is actually worse than an unbeliever, right? So, so family is a responsibility. It's an obligation. And that goes all the way back to the Ten Commandments. But this, this loophole that they had created where maybe if someone didn't really like their parents or they were a, a burden because that never happens. Um, but, but this idea, they could, they could kind of call out this korban. And whatever they had kind of saved up in anticipation of having to take care of their family, take care of their parents, they kind of just washed their hands of their family. I can't help you. It's korban. It's given to God. Sorry. Figure it out. In direct rebellion of what God had actually called them to do but they had this nice tradition where I'm going to go this way instead of God's way. That's exactly what was happening. Jesus uses a case study to explain how people were ignoring the commands of God in favor of their own tradition. And that's how far it goes when we don't be careful with this. And actually remember what Jesus calls us to. So it's important to stick to what matters. And what matters is the heart. It's not the outside. It's the inside. Which he goes into and explains in verses, verses 14 to 23. Because he's on a roll now with these people. right? And he's got an issue and it's set up. And he, he, he just runs with it. Because he wants to really drive this message home. And he does something in these verses, which is one of the most radical and revolutionary things that anyone could have done in the Jewish culture at the time. Because these external things that were so important in the religion had become so outward focused, people weren't changed. They had all the external things, but inwardly their hearts were still defiled. Inwardly their hearts were still defiled. The radical statement is in verse 19 where he says, uh, it's in parentheses, thus he declared all foods clean. 
Because in Jewish culture, it was such an issue of sacredness and holiness that you had to maintain dietary laws. And, 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 And... Truly devout Jews would die over this. There's stories in history of Jews who were, who were told, you've got to eat this thing, or, and they would refuse. And so when Jesus comes on the scene and sets people free from this, it's revolutionary. Jesus didn't care about posturing or performance. His mission was and still is today the transformation of our hearts. I look at this list here at the end of this section, right? Because you've got 14 to 23, what actually defiles a person. Not what comes into a person physically, but what comes out of a person's heart and spirit. Because that's who you really are. You can wash your hands and still have a dirty heart. Jesus calls religious people a whitewashed tomb. Starting with verse 21, for from within, out of the heart of man, the heart of man, right? That's a, that's a term that we, uh, that, that's used in scripture to, to define a, a, a person's sinful nature, man without God. They, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these things, all of these evil things come from within. And they, they are what defile a person. When we are tempted by our sinful nature and then act on those, those temptations and allow the, the heart of man to come out of us, in these ways. That's what Jesus wants to fix. That's what matters to him. Not if you wash your hands. Not if you wear your Sunday best to church. He wants the heart. He wants what really defiles us. This list reflects what a person, who a person really is. And it's interesting, as I was reading that, I mean, that's some messed up stuff in there. Contrast that with the fruit of the Spirit. Because on the one hand, you've got these things that come out of the heart of man. Evil things. Hold that up over here with what comes out of us as we allow the Spirit to produce fruit in our lives. I don't want, I don't want that list over there. <laughs> I want, I want love. I want joy to come out of me. I want peace to come out of me. I want patience to come out of me. I want Jesus to take those evil things out of my heart and replace it with a clean heart. If what matters is the heart, right? If what matters is the heart, what Jesus is really, what his mission was for, 
Jesus sees our heart. It's good to know that he sees our heart. This is verses 24 to 30, which I almost spent the entire time just talking on this because this is one of, one of those, those passages in Scripture that people kind of like don't know what to do with, right? And I wanted to explain it, but it, it ties in here because it's, it's, it's a story of Jesus seeing the heart of someone, And I'm going to read this all the way through. It's the Syrophoenician woman. Because he deals with this in in Galilee and then he heads north just to get out of town because he needs a break. (laughs) He had explained it to the religious people. He had explained it again to his disciples um, and just, just wanted a little break. So he heads north to Tyre and Sidon. So we'll jump in verse 24. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know. Yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Okay. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. A difficult, difficult passage because we don't like the idea of Jesus calling this poor woman who comes to him begging for him to help a dog. Right? That's just rude. Like, I wouldn't do that to any of you on a good day. Um, but, but in this, and I wanted to, I wanted to include this because I think it's important to explain it and I think it relates back to kind of what, what this whole chapter is about. Is that he takes something and he goes through the same formula. He did not add to the gospel. He did not take away from the gospel. But he did not discard something because it was unclean. And so we need to break these verses down real quick um, to, to show you how he does that, right? And why what he says is not as, as, as offensive as it sounds, okay? So, so hang with me here, all right? At the time, right, Jewish people had a very high view of themselves. They were God's chosen people. Yeah, I mean, I would too. They were the chosen race. They had the priesthood. They had Jerusalem and the temple, And those people over there who were not Jewish were considered dogs. That was a term that was used in Jewish culture in reference to to Gentiles, to non-Jewish people. Which is really just humble and gracious and nice people. Okay? 
And so, the, and so there's a little bit of wordplay in, 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 in how Jesus addresses her and then how she kind of like picks up, I see what you're laying down, I'm going to pick it up. Yes, all right. Even the dogs can get the scraps, all right. Because that was a Greek kind of, they had a way with words where they could, they could kind of banter back and forth like that. But he did not add to the gospel in this account. Right? Her faith in Jesus was the only thing that mattered. Didn't matter where she was. Didn't matter who she was. Didn't matter what she had done. But she came and she was persistent because I'm thinking in my situation, if Jesus had said that to me, I might have just tucked tail and run. Like, okay, sorry. Like, enjoy your stay. <laughs> but she came back and she persisted and said, fine, I don't care. Just give me a crumb. And that was enough for him because he saw what was in her heart. She was not ceremonial clean in any way, but Jesus saw her heart and that was what mattered to him. There's no other record of anything else that she had to do to get right. But she saw who he was, he was known, and she persisted and, and, and went after him. So he did not add to the gospel. He did not take away from the gospel. There's a key word in, in Jesus' words that I want you to underline because it, it, it explains God's plan from the beginning. He says, let the children be fed first. That's the key word, okay? First. Because God's plan from the beginning was first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. You and me. God's plan was first to go to his people, offer them the gospel, and then to the Gentiles. And if the, if the children refuse to eat, more for the other people, right? Which we benefit from today. But God's plan was always to go to the Gentiles, to go to the whole world. And we see in this story a foreshadow of that where Jesus doesn't see political boundaries, he doesn't see geographic boundaries, he sees people who are willing to put their faith in him. And if he sees that in your heart, if he sees that in my heart, that's all that matters. He did not come, uh, he did not discard something because it was unclean. He made it clean as only he can do. And there's rest for us in that, where we come to him broken and dirty and just filthy and ask for a crumb from his table. God, I don't even need the whole meal. Just a crumb from you is enough. And he's happy to give it to where she goes home and her daughter is healed. He is the one that makes us clean. We don't have to scrub. We don't have to polish. We don't have to, to break. 
He takes us as we are and washes us white as snow. So from these verses, I've got, I want to conclude with two warnings and a promise. Two warnings and a promise. The first warning is against uh, external hypocrisy. Because it's something I want us to be on guard against. He warns us about adding to the gospel or taking away from it because we want to hold to our traditions more than to him. We need to be so careful about having a pretense of righteousness and holiness that we forget the work of the cross. That we forget what it means to be poor in spirit and just come to him and say, you did it. The work is done. I don't have to do it. I don't have to check certain boxes. I don't have to perform for you. I don't have to perform for people. I can come as I am. And you love me. And not to expect it of others either. Right? I think that's so important that we don't place our own perceptions of how people should live. Hold each other accountable, absolutely. But don't expect people to adhere to your standard that you think is important. Unless it comes from God. The second warning is against internal evil. Right? There's external hypocrisy, there's internal evil. Do not be defiled. Do not allow yourself to go back to those ways. Right? Ask God continually to renew you, to bring you into um, more of, of who he is and to sanctify you and be cleaned by the renewing of your soul that only comes through Jesus. Right? Because he's bought us with a price. And he has given us righteousness. But my, my heart and my prayer and my warning for us this morning is that we don't, that we don't forget that. Right? That we don't see the things of this world and go back to it. Finally, a rewarded faith. There's a promise in this of a faith that is rewarded. That comes out of 26, uh, 24 to 30. Because a common story, right? A common story that's seen throughout the New Testament are, are people who pursue Jesus. Two weeks ago, Jesus, uh, Travis was, shared the story of, of Jairus and the, the, the woman who had the discharge of blood, who, who all she wanted was to just touch his garment. And she believed if she could just touch his garment, she would be healed. All she wanted was that crumb from the table just to touch his garment. And that was going to be enough. Her faith was rewarded. The Syrophoenician's faith was rewarded. There's two blind men in Matthew 20, verses 29 and 34, who cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And they ignored the people who told them to be quiet. They shouted even louder, son of David, have mercy on us. 
There's the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke 18, where it says the the tax collector standing far off after having seen the, the Pharisee proud of himself and who he was. The tax collector standing far off would not even lift his head, but beat his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I can't even look at you. I know who I am. Please have mercy on me, a sinner. This is a story of the thief on the cross. Who doesn't have a chance to go through all of the the purification rituals and cleanse himself. He's hanging, dying on a tree. And yet he grasps for a crumb from the table where he says, please, remember me, please. And Jesus says, you will be with me in paradise. Over and over and over again, people who have no business being clean in the eyes of of the good people of the day. And yet their righteousness surpasses those of the Pharisees and scribes who never allowed their hearts to be transformed. So I'm going to call the worship team up and to close. I don't want us to be about tradition for tradition's sake. I don't want to care about having the right position. Dressing the right way, listening to the right music, not listening to the wrong music. I don't want to care about things that Jesus does not say are important. I want us to be about Jesus and the salvation that he offers. Nothing more, nothing less. Because at the end of the day, that's enough. And until we meet him in, in glory, that's enough. To sustain us, to fill us, to satisfy us, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to close before we sing this last song with Psalm 51, verses 10 through 12. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me cast me not away from your presence please please do not cast me away from your presence please do not take your Holy Spirit from me restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit I'm going to ask you to close your, close your eyes just for a second. Because I'm feeling so heavy in this, the, 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 the weight of this, and want to, to invite people 
where if you have never allowed Jesus to, to take away the defilement that's, that's in all of our hearts, I want to extend an invitation this morning for you to do that. To reach out and grasp a crumb from the table, to, ex- to invite Jesus to wash away your sins and to put a new heart, a clean heart in you and where you just say, God, I, I believe in you. I, 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 I trust you. And so if you have never asked Jesus into your heart this morning, I'm just gonna ask you to, to, to just put your hand up where if you've never ex- uh, invited him into your heart to be your Lord and Savior, to wash your sins away and make you clean and have a relationship with him. Is there anyone this morning who wants that? Okay. For the rest of us, prayer for you this morning is that you step out from the burden and the weight of expectations that people place upon you, that you place upon you, and that you embrace the righteousness that Christ has given you. The freedom that he's given you not to be beholden to these things any longer, but to have the joy of your salvation overflow day to day and abound in your spirit. So would you pray with me? God, I thank you that we no longer have these rules and regulations that say if we are good or not. You declared on the cross that we are good when we accept your salvation put our hope and trust in you. Father, what a gift. What a gift. Thank you. God, and I pray that we hold so tightly to that and show others what's possible and what's available to them. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.